Welcome to the Tribe Builders. This is the show where tribe and community leaders share their experiences to help you grow your own tribe. Our goal is to help you be a better leader, inspire more people, create the passion your community wants, and profit from the experience. Learn from others how they grew their community to thousands of members while staying focused on their core mission. Listen in as your host, Mitch Russo, author of the best-selling book, Power Tribes, shares his wisdom and experience to help you create the tribe you need to fulfill your mission and create the life you love. Welcome to the Tribe Builders. Welcome to the Tribe Builders. This is the show where tribe and community leaders share their experience to help you grow your own tribe. Our goal is to help you be a better leader, inspire more people, create the passion your community wants, and profit from the experience. Now, since this is a brand new show, I want to hear from you. I want your feedback. Tell me what you like. Tell me what you want. Who are you interested in hearing from? And most importantly, what action you take from every amazing guest we speak with. Hey, it's 2020, folks. There's no time to waste. We have work to do, so let's get right to it. Today's guest is Marilyn Hughes, who created a movement around her spiritual insights and abilities. She's founded the Out of Body Travel Foundation in 2003 with a mission to reduce spiritual and physical hunger worldwide. Marilyn has written 101 books, 101 books, think about that, wow, 40 magazines, 18 CDs, and a lot of very beautiful artwork as well. These books, along with accompanying music and art available for free downloads, Marilyn has experienced, researched, written, and taught about out-of-body travel and mysticism since 1987, and she's created a tribe around her work, and today Marilyn is going to tell us about her mission, how she did it and how her members love being led by her. Marilyn, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mitch. I'm very happy to be with you today. I know, me too, me too. But I don't really get a lot of chances to speak with people who are in your field, so I'm excited about this. So let's go back and start at the beginning. Tell me the story about how you got started, and and let's lead into how your tribe got started at the same time. Okay. Well, you know, I got started somewhere around 1987, and that would be shortly after the birth of my first child. I started having spontaneous out-of-body experiences. I started journaling about them, and within a few years, it was 1990 and 1991, my first two books were published by a traditional publisher on the subject. And then... It was in 2003 that I began to build my own tribe. Ironically, it was the idea of my original publisher that I should consider creating my own publishing company around my subject matter being out-of-body travel Mm -hmm. because he felt that I had a very unique niche and that I could have a part of the market share there that wasn't really being covered well. And it turned out that he was very right. So in 2003, I began between that time I was recording the music, getting the paintings all ready and finished and ready for upload and re-editing all the books that I had up till that time. And in 2003, I took what were the first two books that I had and my first children's book. I have three of those books are children's books one children's book. 
and I published and created the Out of Body Travel Foundation. And we started at that time, you know, literally probably with 10 people who were interested probably. And then a few people started uh, finding it online from my previous books that had been published. But you know what happened in terms of the tribe starting to build? It really was a labor of love. At that time, Oprah Winfrey was still on the air. And though I was not able to get on the show, at the time she had what she called O groups, where she allowed people to form, you know, discussion groups on her website. And this was our first forum. And we started a little discussion group, an O group on Oprah's website. And before we knew it, we had 40 or 50 people. And we focused so much on relationship building. We really focused on caring about one another, caring about the experiences that each of the people were having, and helping one another to reach their goals. And this is what I really think was part of the key in the beginning. And I think the second part of that key was authenticity. It was so important that everything that we presented was real and authentic and that we were coming forward as there wasn't this flash or this marketing technique. It was genuine caring about one another. You know, we started with offering the free downloads of the books because at that time, Besides the fact that I had a mystical experience, an out-of-body experience, which was very specific, where the prophets, saints, mystics, and sages were surrounding me from all world religions, and not from world religions, but from throughout time, so literally hundreds of them, and they told me everything needs to be available for free download, and you will do a dollar upmark on the cost of the print books. And so I obeyed that directive. But it was also just even looking at it from the ground view. At that time, there were a lot of people in the world who could not get their hands on these materials in any other way. They lived in countries where they could not afford a computer at that time. People were using internet cafes, people in third world countries, and even in a lot of countries that were still Real, and we still have a few of them, but back then it was much worse. Places where if people tried to order something, it was literally dangerous to their lives to do that. But we also had the restrictions of the printing industry at the time. Even at that time, Amazon was only printing on one continent, whereas now they have printers scattered all over the globe on separate continents. I remember it being such a big deal when Amazon came up with the idea to open up printing companies on every continent because it dramatically reduced shipping rates for our customers overseas, whereas it used to cost $50 to ship a book, it went down to $5.99 or something. So there's a lot of things that changed over the years, but it started with, you know, being real, being authentic and genuinely caring about one another and slowly building over time that social media presence. So we started with 40 or 50 in that O group and transferred to a Yahoo group. 
And then we moved into what at the time was called a Ning group. And we built up at that time to about 11,000 members of that group. And that was similarly continuing to really show caring. And we could all very interested in making sure our members felt the warmth and the caring from the tribe. And, um, you know, and they did, you know, and so the people continued to come. It was also really important just from the, you know, the nuts and bolts, the search word configurations and learning more and more about the search engines. So the websites and the forums and then the continuing social network presences would become searchable. And, you know, and today we are at 1,033,000 on Facebook and um, we have uh, somewhere over 2,030,000 visitors to our site. Yeah, that's absolutely incredible. I don't think I've spoken with anyone who's had a, a tribe that big, particularly around a topic as obscure as yours. So let's go back a step here. What would you say would be the core mission of your group or your tribe? The core mission really comes back to, you know, our mission statement states that our goal is to reduce a spiritual hunger worldwide. That came from something that Mother Teresa had said shortly before her death when she observed that spiritual hunger in the West was, in her point of view, much more serious than the physical poverty in the East. And when I heard that, I was like, we need to address spiritual hunger And that's why it's like we need to bring spiritual uh, substance into the hands of anyone who wishes to partake of it. But our goal, it's grown, it's changed, it's expanded over the years. But generally, it is to help souls who want to search, expand, and understand the deeper significance of what their lives mean here on earth and what they can do to deepen it. That sounds almost like the mission statement of every religion on the face of the planet. (laughs) Right? Wouldn't you agree? Well, to some extent, that can be the case. However, this is really the difference, I'll say, without in any way intending to uh, be disrespectful to religion, because again, want to make sure you know, I studied the ancient sacred texts of the world religions from, and, you know, not world religions. You know, ancient sacred texts don't necessarily have to be attached to world religions, but True. oftentimes they are, but they're not always. And I have deep, deep respect for all of the religions of the world because I've studied most of them deeply. And um, so it's a very deep, holy regard that I have. But I would say what is very different about the Out of Body Travel Foundation is that we are actually doing that. Whereas one of the things that happens, one of the books I wrote was called Near Death and Out-of-Body Experiences of the Prophets, Saints, Mystics, and Sages in World Religion. And I wrote it because I wanted people to see that every world religion was born on a revelatory moment, which was an out-of-body experience. And what happens is this great moment of revelation becomes compartmentalized into a very physical device on the ground and becomes a set of rules and laws and people try to manage it. And literally, they're trying to put God in a flask. Mm -hmm. Right. And what happens, you know, the difference between 
like your typical religious practice versus your mystical practice is a religious practice is going to be a God in the flask kind of practice. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you take it and you take the mystics from all the world religions, they were not about flasks. They understood God's omnipotence, his omnipresence, and that God is so much bigger than any of us know or can even possibly understand. And so the mystics actually wanted to get to know God as he is, not as our simple human minds might conceive him to be. And so at the Out-of-Body Travel Foundation, the people who come to us are looking to experience God in a very interior way where God has an opportunity to reveal himself to them. And so it really is very different, even though that's absolutely true. That might be part of the stated intention, but what we often see in many of the religions as they end up being practiced on the ground is that it sometimes puts many boundaries and barriers to that happening for the person who is seeking God, where you can't do this, you can't, and I'm not talking about moral laws and things like this. I'm talking about the way that we constrain the seeker from allowing the seeker to receive the Holy Spirit in whatever faith they may be practicing, where God is allowed to reveal himself through an out-of-body or mystical experience. And we let God decide how he's going to do that individually within us. And then when we do that, we are literally blown away because we can't conceive of it. And that's why we want to let God show us, because if we try to think it up, we're going to come up with something far inferior to what God is going to show us. Sure. And that makes a lot of sense. Let, let's dive a little bit deeper into this. Are you saying that you've developed a process that anybody can follow to have their physical body in one place and their spirit in another? I'm saying that most people have this capability. And ironically, I'm going to take it a little further. The reality is the human being does this already. It's just that we are not conscious of it. It's an unconscious state that we experience. Most people experience it in sleep. So what we have developed is a way to bring it to the conscious mind of the human soul. And it's not a technique. There's a lot of people who do have some techniques. Many of them work. Many of them are less successful. But the way that we do it is, is actually much more akin to the tradition of the mystics from throughout the world and throughout the ages of all the world face. It's very similar to what if you read those ancient sacred texts from all those traditions and focus on the mystics and the mystical writings, you'll see it's pretty universal that there are techniques that have been left behind in writing by those great souls. And it's more the path that was laid out that is the mystical path. It's not really new or anything like that. It's, and it's not a technique. It's really more the mystical way. And what we're doing too is bringing it to the conscious mind. So, you know, a lot of my readers will find, I usually recommend to people, they start with 
two of my books, Come to Wisdom's Door and The Mysteries of the Redemption. And we just released a book called The Dialogues with a Mystic. That one's also a good one to start out with because that is now it's a guide of what I do with my spiritual counseling clients. So that helps people to experience that process as if they're doing it one-on-one with me. But what those books do, Come to Wisdom's Door, you know, teaches you and demonstrates to you some of the basic information you need to know about what you're going to experience in these things and some of the basic things and mindsets that you need to take a look at, the things that you need to adjust in your thinking to make you more receptive to receiving the experience. When you read the Mysteries of the Redemption, that literally, it's almost like making possible what was previously not possible in your mind and just even the understanding of that starts making it more likely that these things will come to your conscious memory. A lot of people report having spontaneous experiences shortly after they start with those two books. Wow, that's impressive. Let's take a step back and talk more now about the tribe itself. Is it entirely based on Facebook? I know that you mentioned one other social media platform. How many social media platforms are you present on? And tell me about the work that you do to maintain those. Let's see. I have probably about 10 to 15 social media platforms. I try to maintain as many as I'm able to, as many as I'm aware of as, you know, as they come and go. Mm -hmm. As you know, some of these platforms come and go and a lot of them have come and gone over the years. So I've had to try to keep up. And what I'll generally try to do is when I'm announcing something or releasing something, I have bookmarks of where I have my social networks, where I can release it on all the uh, social media sites, right one after another. At one point, I had used program that allowed it to release them automatically to all the sites, but not, you know, in one fell swoop. But I found that that was not as visually appealing in my view because each of the sites has such different parameters. And it was, was, even though it was a little bit more time consuming, it was more effective to do each site individually just to make sure the visual was correct. And, you know, because sometimes it's slightly different for each one, you know, that you want to make an adjustment. So do you do this by yourself or do you have a VA or any other form of social media management people, or you said that you don't use software anymore, which means you're doing it all manual. Is it just you or do you have help with that as well? It's me. Okay. (laughs) I do have some people. We have a Facebook forum and that's attached to our page. So we have a lot of activity on that very large page. So we have probably about 15 moderators who help me moderate. And I have about two people there who also help me to post things on those particular pages. The other ones I take care of myself, but that helps a lot just because definitely it's helpful to get other people involved. I have definitely found that it's good to have other eyeballs on for catching things you don't want on the site, but it's also good to have people from different backgrounds, you know, moderating. 
because they throw up different kinds of material and it's just one thing that can be difficult and I've dealt with over the years is just trying to help those other moderators not to fight amongst themselves, to understand that this is actually the intention. We want to have different viewpoints demonstrated in our moderation so that we are we are literally making it clear that we honor the fact that we don't all agree on everything. Of course. And, you know, the other fact, one of the things that I did from early on that a lot of I've, well, I've noticed a lot of people don't do is I have always been very welcoming and I encourage it that other people in my field post things or share on my Facebook pages and my forums about what they're doing. Because whereas I've seen sometimes people think that this is, you know, don't do that because it's competition. But what I found is that my audience appreciates that I think of what they want, which is that they would like to hear about other things that also might help them. Of course, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. So out of curiosity, do you communicate with your members in a specific way on a regular day and time? Do you create broadcasts at different times or, or is it a little bit more casual than that? We used to do, it's interesting because you talk about beginning to what we do now. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, we did some, at that time, live chats were popular. We did some live chats. They liked that a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we didn't necessarily do those anymore over time. But what we've morphed into a lot of different things over the years. But right now, I'd say what we've got, I put up a QA and a channel. You know, we have a running YouTube channel, our main channel. Mm-hmm. And I put up a Q&A channel so that all the questions that people were sending in to me, I could answer on video and just have all these questions, you know, because literally a lot of the questions I get can be asked hundreds of times by different people. Mm-hmm. So now we have the Q&A channel with, you know, about 100 questions. And then when I get more, I just go on there and throw up some more questions and people love that. And then we just recently did vignettes with Mystic Marilyn Hughes, which my producer, Brian Malam, is being very kind to produce. And he's taking audio from interviews that I've done with him. We do as on a podcast we've just begun. And he's producing these two, three, four minute outtakes with beautiful video footage on different subjects that we cover and he asks me about and people are really liking those even better and I've had a lot of video content that I put up Mm -hmm. and I find that what I have found is that when I tried to do like the live events people didn't seem as as responsive to that as they do to having the access to the video coverage of things whenever it's good for them. So we have a lot of, uh, you know, we've got all the appearances that I've done up on the YouTube channel, all my television appearances. I was involved in a documentary film that was released in 2012. It's very helpful. People like that. But I also have put up videos with some things like how to, how to have an out-of-body experience, some of the things that you need to do to prepare and some other things that are on the websites as well. So I try to 
put up content that I think will help them, but they seem to like it best when they can consume it when they have time to do so. Of course. Listeners, we are talking to Marilyn Hughes. She is the creator of the Out of Body Travel Foundation and has built a tribe of over a million people, people who follow her on social media. You can see every word we said today in full transcription format at thetribebuilders.com. Go to Marilyn Hughes' show page and there everything will be. Now, Marilyn, of course, I think the goal of any individual and any tribe is to be able to support itself. So that always comes down to a topic that's sometimes difficult for people to articulate, and that is how do you make money? How do you finance your own growth? And of course, how do you pay yourself? What is the monetization model for your tribe? Well, we have all of the books are available in paperback. We used to sell hardcover as well, but found that that was not a good stream to keep maintaining. So we took that out. We have paperback. We have all of our books available in Audible and in every format available on digital books. People seem to be very interested right now in the Audible format. I do spiritual counseling, which is, you know, at the website. If you look at the submenu of the Out of Body Travel homepage, you can see the spiritual counseling. That's where people sign up. So I do spiritual counseling. We do separate projects that people will agree to donate to the foundation for. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I often do, I get involved in separate projects. Like for instance, you know, this one is not in production yet, but it's in the screenwriting stage. So we are working towards putting my first book that was released in 2003, The Mysteries of the Redemption into a five-season series on Netflix, which would be an income stream then for everything else that we do. Sure. And is that underway or is that something you're hoping to do? That is, the scripts have been written and the producer is um, working on funding. And so, you know, with projects like those, you just kind of got to wait and see if it will get to production. You know what I mean? <laughs> I do. I do. I completely understand. <laughs> yes. So let's go back to the idea of building a tribe. Since you've kind of an, an expert in it after all these years, what advice would you give to somebody else about this process when it comes to supporting their business? So for example, should somebody have a product or service to sell before they begin to build their tribe? I do think you want to have a product or service in my own view, even if that's you. I mean, if you're selling your own service, but you want to have something if you're going to build a tribe, something that you are offering, whether it be something that is uh, your passion, that you're passionate about, that you are building a tribe for. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a product, a book, or a service, you know, in my case, it's spiritual counseling, doesn't, you know, can be a book, CD, or I don't know, but there's other, obviously, other products as well. Mm -hmm. I do think that that's helpful. You want to have a really clear understanding and idea of why you want to build the tribe, because you don't want to just build a tribe just to build one. You have to be passionate about why you're doing it because that's what gives you the longevity and that's what gets you up every day doing the work that's required to build it. 
is that purpose behind it. So I do think having a well-defined goal, but you know, like even in my case, my situation started out with a simple five-page website and I had two books, a children's book, and that's where it began, you know. You can start with something small, but have in your mind the master plan of something bigger, but you want to start with something. You know, even with the uh, music and stuff and the art and the paintings, I'd been working on those for five, ten years before 2003, so I had a lot of stuff that was literally ripe and ready to pick when the foundation was begun. And so there were a lot of things that were falling in place to make it a good time for it to happen. I do think you want to have some very clear reasoning behind it. Sure. And what you're basically saying is, hey, you know, have a purpose, do some planning in advance, have some products ready to go, and and then get people to be passionate about your mission so that they can join your tribe and follow you. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah. And if you have a product of some kind, you want it to be something you really care about. Of course. So let's look out into the future. I don't know if uh, in your travels you can see the future, but uh, (laughs) in this case, uh, I'm asking you to think about it and share with us what your world looks like two years from now. Well, my world, I will likely be doing things very similarly. I will be doing the daily grind The, in terms of, you know, when I say the daily grind, I don't really feel it's a grind, but it's the same things. You know, I'm doing the same things now that I did 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. It's just being diligent about doing it every single day, but that's what creates the momentum. In terms of, you know, seeing into the future and the prophetic things about that are going on in today's times, I can save that for another interview. But, you know, in terms of what I would like to see happening in two years, I would like to see, you know, the Netflix thing moving forward, maybe having a season underway, you know, and that we would be moving this message into more and more forms of communication. So moving into Netflix, maybe we come up with other ways to do this. We have been talking about with the same producer filming online classes on out-of-body travel. So I see that as possibly being something we might have in two years. You know, there's a lot of ideas that may be manifest by that time. And this is one thing I would suggest to your listeners is this kind of a project of tribe building is that there are always ideas coming in and you want to always be feeding it just like a plant you know, because that's how your garden is going to grow. So my garden is hopefully going to grow by placing this message in as many new communication receptacles as I can. So I see that as film, TV, courses, and other ideas that might still be brewing, so to speak. Does that make sense? It does. And it looks like a very bright future. I'm thrilled to hear about all your activity. Final question is about taking the first step. There are a lot of people who have a passion about something, a lot of people who might even have a product, but they don't quite know how to take that first step to build or even grow their own tribe. What would you advise? 
The biggest step is taking the first step, which is, <laughs> which is literally just do the next thing. This is advice I've given to a lot of people because someone told me this, and I think it was, I still try to remember who it was. It might have been my husband's grandfather, mm-hmm. which was do the next thing. And this is especially, you know, like when you're very confused or you're overwhelmed, do the next thing. So you've got the product or you have an idea. Let's start with someone who's got the product. (laughs) Okay, then you got to take your product and what is the next thing? What is required to take that to the next level? Is it something you need to put together a website? Is it something where you need to get it onto the shopping network on TV? Is this something you need to get to manufacturing? Whatever that next step is, you want to take it. So like when I had the idea about my publisher told me, I think you should consider that you might have a niche market here. And I said, okay. And I laughed. You know? <laughs> and, um, but then when I started thinking, I was like, that's interesting. If I did it, what would I call it? And, you know, maybe two weeks, two, two months, I said, I'd call it the Out of Body Travel Foundation. So I've got the name, which carries till today. And then it was like, okay. And you have to remember that, you know, this was when the internet was just being born. So I'm coming out of the time when we used to use uh, these metal plates to publish books. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, well, what would I do if I were going to do that? And it's like, I guess I would build a website. <laughs> you know, okay. Mm. And I so I did that, you know, and then it was like I had to learn, okay, well, it looks like there's this new thing called print on demand. Mm. I guess I better learn about it. You know, so it's really kind of like taking those steps one step at a time. So I had to learn about it. It was like I had to learn how to do a PDF. I had to learn, you know, I had to relearn publishing, frankly, too, but it was you know, so much easier after that. It was a lot easier. <laughs> you of, know? Course, of course, Had to learn a lot of new programs to learn to work with the web. But that would be like the process that I went through. It was like, do the next thing. Some of the next things were in my case. So it was figuring out, okay, so if I'm going to publish the book, what are the formats that I have to get these files into to make them publishable? So then I had to learn, okay, I've got to get this into a six by nine format with this amount of bleed and these kinds of gutters and things like this. And I can only use this font. And so, you know, I have to take a manuscript and now turn it into a print on demand document. There were also things like I had my music and my art. Well, then I have to get that art photographed and I have to figure out what a JPEG is and make it, you know, computer friendly. With the musical stuff, I had to take my tracks and take it to an actual recording studio so they could mix them down into what would be considered an acceptable uh, studio format for putting up online. So there were a lot of these, the next steps, the next thing that went into just before I would even, you know, say, okay, I founded it in 2003, you know, (laughs) And so that's what I would ask people to go through that thought process with. And, you know, and so then it was the website, put the books up, figuring out how to make them available. And then it's always, what is the next thing? And so there's always a next thing. And you want to always be 
looking for the next thing as well as, like I mentioned to you, with the Netflix and the courses, and I always keep that area open and whatever that next thing is going to be because that might come to me or someone may suggest it to me two hours from now, the next thing. Sure. Well, Marilyn, it's been a delight chatting with you about your work and about how you build your incredible tribe. Listeners, Marilyn has made some incredible free gifts available to you. If you go to outofbodytravel.org, you'll be able to download all of her creative output for free, her books and music and art. And uh, by all means, go do that, understand what she's doing, and become a member of her tribe and observe what she's doing because she's doing it right. Marilyn, thank you again for your time today, and I wish you the best of luck, and I can't wait to talk to you again soon. Oh, thank you so much, Mitch. This has been really nice to talk with you. You've been listening to The Tribe Builders with your host, best-selling author Mitch Russo. To explore the library of all of Mitch's podcasts on business and tribe building, go to MitchRusso.com. Access the extensive library of interviews and articles, all there to help you create the business of your dreams. We can't wait to see you again soon.